When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there, in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the Walzer world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finished number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J.Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Well, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the Minnesota sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know when Miss Story is ready to go. He is. Neil, our story. Neil, how are you? Hello there. Good to meet you, Tom. Nice to meet you as well. We got a lot of a uh, lot of ground to cover. We got Dracula the Ripper, the 125th anniversary of Dracula with Neil's story. We got 
uh, you know, British society, the first half of the 20th century, the impact of war on them. Where do you want to start, Neil? We've got a lot to cover. What I'd like to start with is, is really the 125th anniversary of the publication of Dracula. Ooh, it's, uh, I, and I think it's probably best to stick with that because it is such a fascinating subject. Yeah, you're right. Uh, are you aware that there has always been this hope and a belief and even a fear that maybe Dracula and Jack the Ripper have a certain synergy between the two? Ooh, I like it. Yeah, it's something different. I mean, if you think about the Universal monsters, Dracula or Christopher Lee in the Hammer film, Dracula. Right. These are guys. They've got the long cape. They're they, they're often wearing evening dress, uh, and you, you kind of think of that vision, and you add a top hat to that. Thing, huh? <laughs> yeah. And you kind of think, is it Drac or is it? Jack the Drac? Ripper. Mm-hmm. I like Drac or Jack. That's a good title right there. It'd be a good sitcom. Drac and Jack. <laughs> Drac and Jack. Great sitcom. <laughs> that would be wonderful. But it's seductive, isn't it? It's a seductive oh, yeah. thought. And what my very first book on Bram Stoker looked at were the connections between the two. Uh, it took me oh, the best part of 15 years to get access to this most remarkable archive of letters and papers and documents. If I put it into a little bit of context, Bram Stoker, he's born in Ireland in 1847. He was a, uh, he was a reporter, really. He, he'd gone to university. Uh, he, he loved theatre. And he got a job as a theatre critic for one of the newspapers, unpaid. But it was because he, his main job was as a civil servant. And he didn't earn an awful lot of money. But because as a theatre critic, he can get to see the shows for free in Dublin. So, And he would write up these articles and it introduced him to that wonderful world of theatre. And he met an, an actor by the name of Henry Irving. And he, mm. Henry Irving went on to be the first actor, British actor, in fact, any actor anywhere in the world, to be knighted by Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Really? Oh, hell yeah, he, he was the man. I mean, he, he, he made... Uh, theatre respectable. Before that, it was a scene of ragtag vagabonds and ladies of dubious morals. They, <laughs> they weren't all like that, but that's the that was the perception in society at that time. Mm-hmm. So Irving gets a really good name. He's getting great reviews. Bram gives him one of his first major re- really good reviews, seeing the skill of this man. So when Irving gets to take over his first theatre... And the only theatre he ever had was the Lyceum Theatre in London. You you know, it's a big one. It's in the West End. It's just off the Strand. It's still going today. It's got a rolling performance of The Lion King. Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite the same as a dragon. <laughs> no, not not quite. Uh, no, you're absolutely right about that. You know, Neil, but, what amazes me and fascinates me about these stories is you look at it, you know, decade after decade or century after century, there's always a connection. Like right now, our politicians and our news media is sucking the blood out of every living American. I mean, honest to God, they're, they're just wearing us to the out to the bone. So this has always been around. It's always been prevalent, hasn't it? The way that some characters just suck the blood out of everybody else, takes all their energy, not literally, of course, but figuratively, sucking the life right out of people. 
Well, in, in, in many ways. And I, I would like to add, first of all, hands across the sea. No, no matter what the yeah. media may like to say, there is an awful lot of love and affection for the people of America from the people of Great Britain. See, there and you I go. I want to extend that. It doesn't matter on media. This is brothers and sisters across the sea, no matter what your colour, what your background, whatever floats your boat. There's a lot of love and respect, and never forget that, friends in America. Okay. Never forget that. But, Neil, I can't tell you one thing, then, because my family did move from England to America, but Barnard is a Scottish name, so I could be in trouble. Hey. <laughs> Weren't you ejected? Your people were ejected. <laughs> yeah, my, we were kicked out. It's true. Think they were hunting on the king's land. It's a PR spin. They they were rebels. They fought for the Jacobite cause. So (laughs) we could be just terrorists anyway. So hey, uh, that was in the 18th century. So I think we've moved on a bit since then. Well, Neil, I will tell you this, and I talk about it all the time. I do a morning show in town as well, and I talk about it all the time. That the entire family has been to England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales. I mean, you go down the list of. We loved every every moment of it, every bit of it. So we feel the same way about the people of Western Europe, particularly of England, Scotland, Ireland, because we spent most of the time there. Italy, Northern Italy, was wonderful. We have the same feeling. I wish these people would stop chirping about how nobody likes anybody else, and it's just because it's, it's a flat-out lie. It is. It, you're absolutely right. And, and if we look at our DNA, our patchwork is all pretty similar. You know, if, if, you are from, if, if you're a white person from that background, we're going to be similar. But do you know what? There have been people of all colours in Great Britain. I mean, this empire. Now, there's a lot of bad things about empire, but one thing it did do, it brought races together. Mm-hmm. And in the long yeah. run, that's the powerful message that we all now... <coughs> empire gone but people now standing shoulder to shoulder hopefully move on move on do good things respect and love each other that's what it's about god we need more people like you neil talking about this very thing i try to do it on on this show and on the morning show as well try to say hey look i wake up every morning got a great wife uh, she's on this show our son is on the show our daughter's on this show and then there's some other stiff i don't know who where this dave guy came from he's not even related what what Where'd you come from? Well, the test results are in, and Tom, you are the father. Well, you are the father of Dave, who's... <laughs> yeah, that's right, you're younger than I am, so that's cool. Neil Story, this is uh, Dave Schrader. He joins us every Wednesday as well. Neil who? I've never heard of the man. Neil Story. <laughs> oh, God, you told no one another. Oh, no, that's no, all course. I need. It's no, Neil Story, no, never, the Dracula never King. never heard of him. Yeah, the Dracula yeah. King, that's exactly right. And with, do, do you agree with that statement that, that right now our politicians and... Our media is sucking the blood out of Americans. They're yes. taking all of our energy. Dracula come to life. Yeah, I, I mean, serious. And I don't, Neil, I, I don't know if the same thing's happened in Europe, but it sure appears to be at least once in a while. Well, my friends, we, we've just got to keep the faith that the, the, you know, the average Joe in the street uh, really doesn't want to get involved in all of those awful politics and, and, and putting other races and people down. Exactly. We just want to get on with our lives. And do you know what, with the welcome that people from America have in Great Britain, it, it should be pretty darn warm. And the welcome that I've had when I've reciprocated over in America, we've got some great friends in, in Texas, uh, and my heart goes out to the people of Texas for the, the recent terrible events mm-hmm. out there. You know, there's a lot of love. 
and and yes. we've just got to keep that. It might sound like an old hippie talking. Well, I was born in the 70s. I wasn't old enough to be a hippie. No. But the point is, just, just get on with it. We can have a lot more fun, you know? Yep. No, no question about that. I will tell you just very, very quickly, and we can move on. When we did go to Scotland, uh, I'm a rather large guy. When I was younger, I was a lot more muscular than I am now. But the one thing about going to Scotland is, as a big, muscular-looking guy in Scotland, every guy I ran into in a bar wanted to wrestle me. It was just <laughs> It was something else, Neil, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's a, it's kind of a warm welcome. You know, it is. Hug. It was great. Hug plus in Scotland, just for you. you see, just for me. Work. We stumbled into a, a, a karaoke bar in Scotland, and it was we, we had one of our tour groups, right? Right. And we've got these 20, 25 Americans, and we go in, and this place is packed, and there's this footballer sitting there, right? He's got the striped shirt on. Oh, there you go. He's hulking. He's sloshed out of his mind, right? And just, he's talking to people. And then, <laughs> then they go, they call for his name to come up. And I, I have it on video. I have to dig it up. I'll have to show it to you because it's insane. He gets up there and starts singing. Um, uh, oh, good God. What is it? Nat King Cole. Oh, yeah. And it sounds like Nat King Cole. Oh, really? Oh, the guy was spot on. Big, hulking white guy. And he's up there, you know, just, Myrna Lisa, Myrna Lisa. <laughs> and he, but he's like, it was insane. And then he gets done and his shoulders slump and his head goes down. And he goes walking by and he's like, get out of my way. As he goes back to the table. We were in hysterics. I'm like, how is this even possible? I love that stuff. No, we loved it. There's no question. So how long have you two known one another? About a decade. Oh, really? A decade, yeah, yeah about. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dave found me. On a bookshelf in a in an Irish castle. Oh, and yeah. It, and it was just a book, and he thought, "Hey, that looks cool. That's the Dracula Secrets book," and he he bought it and stashed it away for maybe a year. And he he got you know he had a busy show and thought, "Hey, I'm going to contact that guy. I'm going to try and find him and reach out." And well, it's resulted in two amazing tours of of, of England with Dave and 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 the Ghost Crew, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it's. A friendship that has lingered ever since. That's how it's supposed to be. Because he doesn't spend enough time with me, Tom, is the problem. See, if he was around more, this friendship would have been over three years ago. Yeah, because it wouldn't be lingering anymore. <laughs> That's very, very true. No question about that. I just, you know, it all works out. Neil, have, have there always been stories pre Bram Stoker and Dracula? There, there, there have always been stories about bloodsuckers of one kind or another, haven't there? Well, I mean, you can find them back into ancient history because the story of the vampire is an ancient one. Mm-hmm. In the 19th century, you, you had things like Polidori. That's the early 19th oh, century. Yeah. John Polidori, great friend of, of Lord Byron, a confidant. And it was often thought that the original vampire book, Polidori's Vampire, well, it was a, a synergy. What, did Byron write it? Did Polidori come up with the idea? They weren't sure. And then that kind of rolled on from there when you, when you had uh, a, a, like what they called very cheap part works called Varney the Vampire. And that was another popular read. But it, the vampires were, were, were gentry, but they didn't really have a certain class about them. They didn't have a mystery. They were quite rough characters. Bram Stoker was the man that capitalised... On, on so many things. When you looked at... Wilkie Collins wrote a book called The Woman in White. And it was the first book that ever used diaries 
and various letters and newspapers and all sorts to tell the story in a sort of patchwork. Bram knew Wilkie Collins, and he loved that way of doing things. And so for his day, Bram Stoker created the vampire in the story is ancient because he's an immortal. He goes back centuries, does Dracula. But it's set in a modern context. So this is showing Dracula in, in it coming to a modern world that don't believe in ghouls right. and ghosties and long legged beasties. Oh, we're too sophisticated for that. So he can take his advantage of those people who disbelieve in him and feast on the blood of the innocent. So Bram Stoker weaves in things like phonographs and typewriters, modern transport and travel in his stories. So in his day, he was cutting edge. And it's that wonderful synergy of the two that he created. You know, what amazes me is that as a young boy, I guess I was, I don't know, 12, 13, something like that. We're watching Dracula one night on, on Horror Incorporated, as it was yeah. called. Horror Incorporated. <laughs> I actually did the I did the voiceover for that show. Did you really? Yes. Oh, oh nice. And I, I often wonder, I mean, that was later in life, obviously mm-hmm. not when I was 12 or 13. I was going to really be impressed if you were doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're watching it one time, and there I have a neighbor over, a young, dazzling <laughs> urbanite was over there watching. We're watching Dracula. And he just keeps going, uh, uh. He just keeps making these grunting noises. And I said, what's the matter with you? And like I said, we're 12, 13, whatever. He goes, man, this is so so ridiculous. I said, why is it so ridiculous? He goes, not one of these people even try to punch Dracula. <laughs> oh, just punch Dracula right in the face. I wonder how that would go. Because, hey, you could break his teeth. I mean, what's he going to yeah, do? You go. a nasty suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't suck your blood if he doesn't have those pointy teeth. But, no, but the hickeys are going to be brutal. Oh, maybe, maybe he's got like a tool in his pocket for just in case. Just a straw. <laughs> Artificial yeah. teeth. Yeah. He's like a mosquito. Yes, yeah, so like that. Well, I suppose did, did did he did he dazzle people with his stare? Is that part of it? Is that he just oh, like, yeah. he was, he was very he's charming. In, yeah, he could mesmerize people. I mesmerize. Think. There you go. That's the word I was looking at. Well, not not Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, was more like Nosferatu. He didn't right. really have super. He was not a so good much. looking creature. He was no. a, cr- a creepy, yeah. nasty looking thing. It wasn't until yeah. the movie but serial that they mes- came. There is mesmerism in it, right? Oh, definitely. Um, but it wasn't that charming, good looking Bela no, Lugosi thing. No, it was. It was not. Something totally different. Dracula had the power over the beasts of the night. But he also, Bram Stoker, on the stage at at that time he was writing, it was a a new play called Trilby. And and it's where this innocent young girl in in France is is taken over by a character that you'll you'll have heard of, Svengali-like mystics. Well, this is where Svengali comes from. He comes from Trilby. And Bram Stoker was absolutely amazed at this idea of mesmerism. And it was a theme that followed right through all his other books. He wrote to Sir Oliver Lodge, who was one of the founders of the Society of Psychical Research in Great Britain. And he revisited it in other books, notably the sort of mesmeric power that could even kill people from the power of the mind in his last ever book, Bram's last book, The Lair of the White Worm. Oh, yeah. Yep. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I just... Neil, just talking about this stuff reminds me so much of being a young boy and a teenager and all the different (laughs) things. 
Did you ever hear Richard Pryor's take on Dracula? It no, was phenomenal. <laughs> he said, you ever notice one thing? Now, Richard Pryor, for maybe younger people, Alex, the, the people just younger than you, do they know who Richard Pryor is? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not. <laughs> one of the greatest comedians ever born. Black man yeah. in America today from, uh, he was from Peoria, Illinois. I do remember that. But he said, you ever notice one thing about, you go to like a Dracula movie, Dracula never goes into black neighborhoods. And you know why he never goes into black neighborhoods? He goes, you want to what? The guy says to Dracula, you want to what? You want to suck some blood? Why don't you go to the blood bank? And I hope you get sickle cell. <laughs> well, that's not very nice. That's very, Richard was so funny with that stuff. It was amazing. Are we, do we always create characters we have a little bit of inside our own hearts? Uh, in other words, Dracula had to be kind of charming. He couldn't just be this vicious, animalistic psychopath. He had to have a little bit of human charm to him, didn't he? It's like the spider and the web. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, or a flypaper. A flypaper is sticky. It's sweet. And the sweetness will attract. But once you are stuck, you are, you are, you are truly at the, at the prey of the paper. Or once you are entranced in the web. And if you remember some of the early Bela Lugosi posters often depicted him in a spider's web. Yeah. And that yeah. is the whole point. You can get trapped into the mesmeric gaze. If you remember some of the shots of, of Bela Lugosi have the white, the emphasis is on the eyes, all there. Well, with Bram Stoker, the original creation, once he got into the Lyceum Theatre, Irving sucked the blood out of that poor man. Mm-hmm. His whole life was dedicated to the theatre. But Bram idolised the bloke. He was one of these guys that no matter... How badly he treated the people around him. He was surrounded by a mystique that meant they wanted to kind of endear themselves to him. So the original model, the, you know, Bram wanted to create a play, more than a book, a play that would be worthy of performance of Sir Henry Irving. Mm. And so really the first model, the first person, the real creation m- reason for Dracula was Irving. Yeah, that it's makes total. Yeah, I mean, see that. We we always project that. I mean, I, I suppose that's the only way you can tell stories. You you only experience the things that you experience. So when you project outward, I suppose it has to be a lot like you. I would imagine. Well, one of the pretty much universal laws of nature is that what makes predators in real life dangerous is not only their fangs and teeth, but their intellect, and that's why. Dracula is always shown, or usually shown, as very intelligent and able to kind right. of maneuver around people's expectations to get them into the castle or, you know, into the sewers that he lives when he's Nosferatu or whatever. Uh, predators have this ability to manipulate prey right. in a specific way, and that's what makes them really scary to a lot of people is, you know. Yeah. And what's that's what well, Neil's book is crazy far, about. When, Neil, when you... When you share what you uncovered in your book because everybody believes Dracula was based on Vlad Tepish, right? right? Vlad the Impaler. There was probably something along the lines, but with what Andy just said about, you know, somebody very smart, he was predatorial, everything. Who who was Dracula really based on, Neil? Well, if you read through the entire notes of Dracula, and I have, I have probably read more letters, manuscripts, and documents written in Bram Stoker's own hand than any other living person right now. 
And I can assure you there is no mention in any of those documents of Vlad Tepes. Really? And ladies and gentlemen, the bad news is Bram Stoker never went to Transylvania. The Romanian Ooh. tourist board really dislike me. Bram <laughs> used tra travel guides. The Victorian age is the aid of the Baedeker's Guide, the Bradshaw Train Guide. He's got access to the British Museum, the London Library, the finest libraries in the world. He never needed to go. It was all from his imagination and the books that he right. saw, right. but also from the people that he knew. And what I uncovered... It was a long, long trail, a long story where I must give credit to the original man that discovered the suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety, an, an Irish-born but raised in America quack doctor that had an absolute hatred of women. Well, he had a man-on-man a, a, a -man relationship that was very close, if I dare say those sort of things, with <laughs> an, an, an author... That in his day was the first man to sell a million copies in the English language. A million copies of any book. His name was Thomas Henry Hall Kane. Hall Kane was influenced and, and Tumblety had a mesmeric power over other men. Believe you me. It's cutting a long story short. Read my book. Read the books of Michael Hawley, um, Stuart Evans. There are other authors too. And Hall Kane was Bram's best friend in later life because they were both great friends of Sir Henry Irving in the theatre. Mm -hmm. When they met, it was going to be either they're going to love each other or hate each other. They had a very close relationship in a very similar way that uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr Watson had a close relationship. They would share rooms, they would go on adventures together. And in Bram's books, he loved to wrap up all sorts of mysteries and put clues in there. If you read the letters of Hall Kane and Tumblety and you read Dracula in a certain way, the clues are all there that Bram is indicating that, that, that Tumblety is, in fact, uh, Jack the Ripper and that, in fact, he, he, he is the one of the models for Dracula. Why do you think it is, Neil and Dave and everybody else here at the table... I mean, when I was a kid, starting, I suppose, at eight, nine years old, living in North Minneapolis, I mean, our family, uh, all of our friends, and this was people of all types, all skin colors, all poor people. It was a very poor neighborhood. But I don't care if it was Frankenstein, Dracula, The Mummy. When it came out, boy, we flocked to that movie theater to see these people. Why, why is it that such young people, they like the, the fright part of it. I understand that. It's a, it's a different feeling. But why are young people so drawn to characters like this? Well, it's the young people of our generation. And I'm sorry to say oh, this. Okay. In some way, I think for, for those of us that grew up in the 60s, 70s and early 80s we are that last generation to be scared by tv and movie oh i bet horror now i'm not talking about gore gore fest is not something i want to see i don't Hate want to it. be watching anything like that i'm yep. talking about the classic universal monsters hammer horror the, the wolfman the mummy dracula yep. frankenstein all the stuff that made us shiver made us frightened. The sort of stuff that... I don't know whether you guys in America, as kids, were a little bit more more 
braver than us, but I remember when I was a kid, I used to hide behind the sofa or look round the door. I've met around lots of people that look through the banisters of their stairs <laughs> because we don't watch these films for too long. <laughs> well, yeah. I just and I think it. it's, this is our generation. We're the last generation to be... You show stills from those movies to kids today, they just think it's people in funny costumes. Yeah. Oh, I can see that's true. Well, I'm 35 years old, and I think the last movie that really, like, made rounds, that made everyone, all the younger people, scared was Ring. And that was probably yeah, about 20 Ring. years ago. Yeah, yeah, it was The Ring. Yeah, it's called the Ring. It's, origi- the Ring. it's originally called Ring in oh, Japanese, yeah. but that yeah. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably about 20 years ago, something like that. And, yeah, everyone watched it. Everyone was terrified by it. You know, everyone was like, oh, you well, because, I mean, basically the movie says, you just watch this movie, you're going to die. So it's like it's a little forward <laughs> with its yeah. right. threats. Just a little. Yeah. Um, yep. But, yeah, I don't think I remember, I don't, I mean, everyone like the Amityville horror stuff, and the, but people kind of were more fascinated with it than actually <laughs> genuinely scared by it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that it's been probably about 20 years since the movies have really, like, you know, done that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, I think it's a greater skill to scare rather than horrify. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good point, I think. Well, they were saying when we did the Warner Brothers and uh, Universal tour a couple of years ago, Cassie and I went and did the VIP deal so we could get behind the scenes oh, and hear all these VIP. cool stories. Hey, Neil, well, did you, you hear that he's hear a VIP, Neil? Did you hear that? Hear, I had to pay to be a VIP. <laughs> that's the important lesson. <laughs> But yeah, they, they, they take you back. as he has for any trip he does. That's uh, right. Yeah. But they tell you they tell you more of the in-depth stories. And they said that Ooh. these horror movies exploded during the Depression era times, oh, during sure. war time. Yep. Yeah, it yep. was it was a deflection of the times that you could go watch a, a surreal version of this horror and not be as steeped into what you're dealing yeah. with. So you could deal yeah. with the terror and the fear that you had. It was kind of a release valve. I could see that. Then science has now proven that horror movies, theme parks, things like that are extremely good first dates. Because the chemical that you release during those moments of fear, if you're there with somebody, bonds you to them. And really? Can also it's called trauma up, bonding. Yeah, it can also kick yeah. up the... Um, yeah. Sexual part allure. of it. Yeah, I'm trying to be careful because there's little ears. but yeah, little the baby here. Allure... A factor yeah, and it draws people that. together when they share those. That's why in movies, whenever you see them, you know, Jurassic Park, two seconds ago they're being, you know, tracked down by a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex and now they're making out in a cabinet. Well, it's because it's a release of endorphins. Right. right. People always laugh yeah. at why are they doing this? But in real life, that's probably that's what, what would do. really be going on. Yeah. And that's why those yeah. movies and thrill rides are so popular, especially on dates, because it does endear you to those people. How do you, both of you, this is a question for everybody at the table, and Neil Story, of course, our special guest, Dracula the Ripper, 125th anniversary of Dracula with Neil Story. But I, I, I just, I'm wondering about this. Why do these movies cross cultures? Because very poor kids in my neighborhood loved them. The, the middle class, I, they always went to them. Even wealthy families would, you know, why is that area, the, you know, places like Minnesota? Every one of those cultures loved these movies, so did we all just need the same same relaxation, the same relief from everything? I'll give you an example. There was a kid watching it. We were at the Empress Theater in North Minneapolis watching The Mummy, and The Mummy was chasing a guy down, and The Mummy always dragged one leg, if you remember, mm-hmm. but he caught the guy and <laughs> killed him. And this guy in full voice goes, Hi, you can't outrun a mummy. 
which I thought, see, there was a comedic element to it where I went. That was probably not in a lot of theaters, though, was it? Because it was just a different culture. Well, there might be, but humor is, is a release valve, right? Absolutely. In the African-American culture, I think the reason that they do talk to the screen a lot more, and, they, and they I've been do, there for yeah. horror movies, I love, love going to a horror movie I agree. in a theater that's primarily black <laughs> yeah. people because yep. the relief is, you can see it's their way. Eddie Murphy said it perfectly in his in his in one of his first comedy specials. He goes, why is it white people stay in a haunted house? The minute we're in there and we hear, get out, well, we got to go. Got to go. Right? And, and I think that's the, the way that they are very spiritual. They're very understanding understanding of the situation and respectful where you know the idiot white man will just walk in anywhere and poke ghosts right the i mean that's kind of the white man. yeah that's really compared nice. to the, well when you consider you know the the way we've uh, acted and and uh, treated the uh, the spiritual realm and the human realm there's really not much respect for no, it anywhere i agree but then you've also got the factor of uh, everybody can relate to the monster in a way Right? I think that was my next point. Is yeah. it, it's really us we're looking at. It. Right. Frankenstein is the monster. What right. did he do wrong? He was just born into this life. Right. So he could be whatever race. Well, he could be whatever religion. Monster specifically. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. He was created. Uh, he wasn't, it wasn't his idea to be here. Correct. And, and so you kind of feel for him, and you feel for his not understanding. And even in the moments where he appeared cruel, like throwing the girl in the lake, it was never meant to kill her. Right. Right. She threw the flower in the lake, and he thought, oh, this is fun. This and he, is fun. he tossed her in, not realizing she would drown without the consequence. Yeah, the original Frankenstein really wasn't a horror movie. It was like a kind of psychological take on humanity. You weren't supposed to be scared of the monster. Well, you were supposed to, like, you know, okay, there's this scary monster, and then you realize, oh, he's not really scary. But then what happens to him is scary. Hey, we're seeing it in today's environment, right? You go up and you say the wrong joke, or suddenly you've got guys with pitchforks and and torches outside your door screaming for you. You throw one girl in a (laughs) lake, and all of a sudden they're People are so crabby. One time you throw somebody in a lake, and you got to answer for it. What's that all about? But then Frankenstein's monster. It's a crazy thing. In Ireland, not long before Bram was born, that was happening. Oh. During the time of the, the yeah, the cholera outbreaks in oh, Ireland, sure. there was absolute fear that people would go from village to village and spread it. So people got out onto the streets. Any carriage coming towards them, they'd be out with pikes, mm. bill hooks, agriculture, flaming flambo at night. And if the carriage didn't turn around, they'd pull you out and they'd push you <clears> in <throat> ditches with long poles and, and stake you to the ground. God. Well, that's not very that, nice, though, no, is it? That was in the time of Bram Stoker's granny, and she would have told him about that. And in fact, even in the time of his mum, his mum remembered the Sligo cholera epidemics. So as, as poor little Bram laid in his bed, because he couldn't walk until he was seven years old, he had a mysterious disease. Oh. These, these are the sort of s- stories that would have been told to Bram. Yeah. The folk toilet. And why do, th- why do these still work? Well, everywhere you go, no matter how poor your neighbourhood, when the, when the sun starts going down, there are shadows, there are dark corners, there are things to be frightened of. Mm-hmm. And vampires and monsters, you can easily create them. You don't even need, really, a set of false teeth. You can do it with a sneer. You can be the mummy. You can be Frankenstein by straightening your arms out and adopting a blank face and a funny right. voice. And right. you can chase each other around. It becomes a kid's game. But also, it's that kind of make-believe. It's accessible. It could happen to you. I love it. It's like I said, everyone understands the concept of something that's stronger and smarter than you. And it's scary to everyone. It's scary to everything. Every animal understands, you know, this thing is better than me. I should avoid it. 
And good. everyone understands that bubble water is delicious. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> wants a little bubble water. <laughs> Neil Story. You, by the way, you can check out Neil Story. Neil R. Story's author's page on Amazon. Uh, Neil, you got to come back. This has been a great, great thirty-five minutes. I, I love talking because it basically. You kind of reveal yourself when you're thinking about this and talking about these kinds of things. What part of it scares you? What part of it doesn't? I mean, you basically are looking at, at a version of yourself, aren't you, when you watch these? Well, movies. you are. It, yep. and, and, and if you were bitten by the vampire, <clears throat> then you too could become one. See, there you go. Neil, come back soon. I'd love to talk to you again, sir. Thank you, Tom, and thank you to all the family, Dave and all. I love to America. God bless you. But, Neil, get better friends than Dave, will you? <laughs> you can't find better friends than Dave. No, there's, there's there no are pleasure. none. There Thanks, are no. Neil. You take care, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, friends. All the best. All the best to you. We'll Bye-bye. take a break. Be right Bye. back. Thank you. <clears throat> Dan Chesky's here from Dan's Southside Marine. It won't be long now until we start seeing boats on the water. Warmer temps and open water are coming soon, Tom. We have inventory in stock now from Alumacraft, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou with more arriving daily. What's the secret to finding a boat you're looking for this year, Dan? My recommendation is to shop now, pick a model, put your name on it. Our team of pros at Dan's Southside Marine will have the knowledge and experience to get the boat you want equipped the way you want it equipped. What about financing options? Right now, we are offering low-interest financing options up to 144 months with qualified credit. Ask for details when you visit the store. Alumacraft Fishing Boats, Premier, Avalon, and Manitou Pontoons, all powered by Suzuki Outboards, are in stock now with new boats arriving daily. Dan Southside Marine is located just six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington, or shop online at dansouthsidemarine.com. Tom here, and I'm talking with Brad Huckle and Mike Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked before about how working with a community bank like North American Banking Company can benefit business owners. Do you have an example you could share with our listeners? Our customers at Homeco Insulation in Blaine have been banking with a big bank for many years, but suddenly their calls weren't getting returned and their banker was unresponsive to their business needs. You can imagine their frustration. They had a successful business, wanted to expand, and their bank cut them off. They were ready to move on from their big bank. When they referred to us, we knew they wanted to work with a community bank that would be responsive and would take the time to understand their business and its needs. That sounds like a perfect fit. I know it can always reach out and not only talk to an actual person, but I'm talking to an experienced lender. They've told us the same thing, Tommy. Look, I know Brad and Mike and I trust them with my banking. My whole family does. So why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience member fdic and equal housing lender you all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in mike lindell to give you a great night's sleep mike's latest incredible deal is on the giza dream sheets which you've heard me rave about before that's for sure these sheets are made from the world's best cotton giza they are ultra soft and breathable yet extremely durable right now the giza dream sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Our back, ladies and gentlemen. I love that conversation. Neil, Neil Story, what a great guy. Yeah. Really, really decent guy. Very smart man, isn't he? Oh, yeah, very good. That's what I said. I found the book when I was in Ireland, and we did an, um, this trip out to... Uh, um, 
Ireland did this whole deal where in a castle there's this book about Dracula Untold, and I started reading about its connections to Jack the Ripper. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. So a year later, reach out, bring him on. He's just such, as you heard, an amazing storyteller. Yeah, he is. And he, he is, he's a reenactor. He does all these great deals for the war and the effort and talking about oh, really? what. Yeah. So he is, if you follow him on social media, amazing guy, amazing grasp of the history and what's going on out there. So it's well worth the uh, time and effort to uh, read his books because they're meticulous but not boring. And the fact that he's able to lay out, like he talked about the fact Tumble T is who he believes is the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, yeah. And there were pieces missing from each one of the victims. And Tumble T used to keep body parts in jars. Gross. So there's all these really weird. This guy's a what, kook. What drives that? Why do they keep body parts? It's just a, a, uh, souvenirs. A, a souvenir. It's it's like to it's remember, right? You know, they believe that uh, like Dahmer would eat body parts yes. as a way to ingest the the victim to make them right. a part of him always and forever. Right. So a lot of these people keep those souvenirs around so that they can look at them at any time. They can revisit them. It's it's weird that that's their. That's what rubs them and, yeah. you know, excites them to this deal. But it's well, whatever, you know. It, whatever. But, right. Well, how do you whatever explain it? Whatever folks are guys. It's, it's hard to put into to, to speech on the understanding. I don't think I even want to try to understand why they do these weird things. Right. You know? One of the great things about doing the morning show over the years is things happened. Kevin Meany was in studio. Thank you. <laughs> Kevin Meany was in studio, the very, very funny comedian, unfortunately killed himself a while back. Just a very, very funny man. But um, <laughs> I remember he was in the studio on the show when we got the call that Dahmer had done what he did, right? Mm-hmm. And he said, after the after the interview, Kevin Meany goes, can you imagine that, though? I mean, imagine being the, like, you're the landlord and... Hey, you got to get up to the Dahmer apartment. There's something went on up there. You better go check it out. So he opens up the door. He looks around and he goes, "All this carpet's got to go." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Alex, let me ask you a question. All right. Alex is going through her lunch or whatever. What are you having for lunch today, Alex? A tuna sandwich. What's in the other bag for mom? Nothing. What do you mean nothing? I thought mom got something with hey, that other She bag. picked that out specially. Mom's all, I can't taste anything. I, I don't want to eat anything. She can't, can't taste anything. Alex, why do you think it is that you and I really like horror films and mom and Andy don't? <clears throat> I think that part of it is that we, a huge part of it is that we can disconnect from like the idea that it's real and happening to us. Like Fawn has that. Like she can watch something that would upset other children. Yeah. They'd be like, it's too scary, it's too whatever. And she's just like, what? It's just a it's show. It's nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, like, not my problem. Like, I don't know. So, and I think that you and I have that, where it's like, mom gets very, she's very jumpy. She's very, she gets... It's not jumpy. She emotionally, just punches me in the arm no. every time she's scared. She gets very emotionally involved <laughs> she does, in yes. Yes, she does. those types of movies. Whereas you and I are just... Enjoying the entertainment value of it? Yeah. How yeah. about you, Andy? Why, why do you think it is that you don't like horror films? I don't know. I've just never really cared one way or another. It's not like, you know, I hate them. I despise no, them. I just don't really care that much, I guess. It's like, you know, I don't like a sports film or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I understand. Or it's like that. westerns. I just don't really care about <clears throat> westerns. Magnificent Seven why. you'd like. I would, huh? 
Well, I like the theme song. You'd love the Magnificent Seven. That's a great movie. What? Yeah, isn't it like a thousand hours long? No, no it's not it that maybe long. Two, two hours, fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, something like that. Well, for, back, for, for back time. then, yeah. that's old. That's long. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. long. Let's see, Magnificent Seven, nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty, that came out. Oh my God, I'm I'm getting on in years. I don't know if you know that or not. You are. I haven't heard. I haven't heard a word. What do you got? How long is it? Uh, one hundred twenty-eight. So, so two hours and eight minutes. For the time, that's fairly long. Yeah, two hours yeah. and eight minutes is very long for a movie back then. Yeah. Because now they go three and a half hours and nobody cares. Except for me, because I don't go watch them. But, you know, it all works out in the end. I do love talking about why we project parts of ourselves out for the world to see, like Dracula and Frankenstein, the mummy and all that stuff, uh, serial killers, all the things that humans actually do, we project them onto screens or in plays or whatever. Do we do that to try to deal with them kind of a, uh, on a face-to-face basis, even though it really isn't? Does it allow us to deal with them a little bit? I think it. it, it we're all hoping for an insight as to, oh, that's why. That's why, right. Because we don't want to believe anybody's just that yeah, exactly. evil. Right. That there has to be something that we can, oh, well, he was beaten as a child. That makes oh, complete yeah. and utter sense. It doesn't. I was beaten as a child. It doesn't make me go out and eat people. I'm right you know, there I'm with not you. burying people. I might want to. But uh, no, but it's not. You know, it's, it's that rationale isn't it. that rationale isn't like, oh, everybody that's beaten as a child is going to end up yeah, whatever. It, it increases right. your odds. It increases it your does. odds, of, yeah, and there's lots of things that you know increase your odds yeah. of lots of different mental things. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's very very rare that you hear about a serial killer or something like that that just had like totally normal childhood. No, that well, Dahmer, like, it happens, he? but it's very infrequent. Dahmer had a, basically a pretty good childhood from my understanding. He, and Ted his father Bundy? loved him, right. was supportive. No, I Ted think. Bundy was like abused yeah, Ted psychologically was by his grandfather. And his, stuff. Oh, I never heard yeah. that part. By his grandfather? I think so. Why don't well, you tell see, grandfather to shut the hell up and get lost? If you don't believe in reincarnation, Ted Bundy to me is one that would certainly make you consider it because yeah. when he was three years old, his aunt was spending the night over. I remember this. And he had, she woke up to him standing there with a knife that he, um, he was running underneath the sheet yeah, back and forth. He was, yeah. And he's just staring at her. Where does that come from? Yeah, where does yeah, that if you're, come from? I mean, that's not something that a three-year-old would think. That, to me, feels like there's some old soul or something really twisted in that guy. <laughs> that could be. That, uh, that uh, could happen. But they even talk about Bundy in court. Um, when they found one of the bodies, his face started to contort, and he, he emitted this foul odor. Not oh. like um, not like gas, but just like this sulfur-like smell. Eek. His eyes would turn black, and these are attorneys talking about it. Eek. That when there were points when he yeah. would chat, he would kind of glaze out, and his eyes would turn black oh, yeah. as he told the story about what he did to these people. Yeah, kind of strange. Puffy cheeks. Puffy cheek phony. So they look just Drinking like the you know the gnomes and uh, all the other cute characters. Mm-hmm. It is pretty <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It is pretty amazing though, and it, it it does have a lot to do with culture. It does have a lot to do with how much money your from your family has, whether they're very poor, kind of poor, middling, kind of rich, or very rich. People look at things totally different. Income and way of life has a lot to do with what we believe in, what we just will not believe at all. A lot of things like that. Right. You know. Well, and then there's these... I don't make excuses for why celebrities and rich people do horrible things. But you realize that there's this insular way that they're they're treated. 
and they will ask for the most fantastic. And because somebody does not want to disappoint them because they're enamored, they find a way to make the fantastic happen. Yeah. I worked for somebody like this and for quite a while. And it was remarkable because that person's belief was that these things happened just because they were who they are. And they're that they had no concept of the fact of the begging, badgering, and work that was done behind the scenes to make this happen right. for them. They right. just thought, I am who I am, therefore this happens. And yep. they're so out of touch, but everybody around them well, insulates them. Yeah, yeah, well, we were just talking about that with like somebody like Bill Gates. When, when Bill Gates was first like, you know, a mm-hmm. billionaire, he was, you know, opening up charter schools and giving money right. away to do right. this and to do that. And now it's like he wants to rule the world. He does, yeah. You know, and it's like just because you have a billion, two billion, a hundred billion dollars, whatever he's got, I don't know, don't care. It doesn't mean that you know everything about everything and that you should be involved in absolutely everything. But people let him because they figure, oh, he's smart enough to make a hundred billion dollars. Mm-hmm. He's got to know everything about stuff. That's what people, everybody thinks. Yeah, we assign people the uh, attributes that we wish that they would have. Right, right. Well, it's like when Jesse Ventura ran for governor. People voted for Jesse and came out in throngs. Wasn't that the highest recorded vote I think in the so, state yeah. of Minnesota up to that point? Right. Wow. Because people wanted to change. Mm-hmm. And then act all incensed when he's doing his governorship work and being a commentator for the XFL. Right. Well, you can't. You're the governor. You hired a professional wrestler exactly. who is a PR is? guy. Right. What it, this is I know. you've it's got so to allow the, you know same with our past president you you brought in a guy yep. who famously and I'm not bashing I'm not I'm just saying famously did not handle money properly and showed uh, disrespect for many people through the mm-hmm. years and he was a reality show star and a, a millionaire and we hired him because we hoped for change and then everybody is incensed that he is well, when you bring somebody in who doesn't have the knowledge or background, just because they're good at business or good at one thing does not mean that they are this. Now, that doesn't say that Bill Gates might not make a great president because he understands the business of the job and could could do something along those lines. And I'm not you know, God, indicating no. for him, but I'm just saying there are other skills you can have that can lend to politics maybe a little better because I think pol- politicians get so uh, – encased in their own ways mm-hmm. that they don't see well maybe we could fix this budget by changing this nope got to be the way it always been but i'll change it this way and that's just going back to what the people before him did so i understand the, the want and desire of people wanting something different than what we've had mm-hmm. but and we never do that well we bring them in and then all we do is bitch and whine and complain when that happens well plus the fact this all started with thomas jefferson he started screwing people out of money the second he got famous I mean, that guy jobbed people out of money as whole. He started the national bank system, did he not? I, I don't know. And I think most of the money that disappeared. That American history stuff is so confusing. <laughs> I think most of the money in the banks disappeared, and they never knew where it went. So it's been going on forever. It's both. It's all parties, because it used to be other parties. These people are scumbags. Anybody who wants to be the president is nuts. I'm sorry, but they are. No, I think that there's a lot of them that go in with the desire to change things, and once they get in, they realize, oh, Got no shot. I have absolutely no power. I am a puppet, and I'm here to do what I'm told to do. And that's what, if you listen to some of the out interviews of people like Jimmy Carter um, and Bill Clinton and even Obama, you can see the disillusionment with the job. When they went in, they had a sense of what they wanted to do to make things better. And now they're kind of, yeah, it'll take a lot out of you. 
Yeah. You can see they're just reserved to the fact that this uh, you are a, a figure. You're, you're the queen of England. Mm -hmm. You're a figurehead that has no real power. Yeah, if you want to say something, you got to just say Sneak it. Sneak in. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Jump in. Sidebar, Dahmer did not have a normal childhood. Uh, no? You no. looked it up? No. Not so good? No. There you go. I'd say, but yeah. once she's listening to something else, I can talk. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, we have to take a break anyway. We'll be uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. <clears throat> Alicia McBride in the second hour. That should be rather interesting. How to keep a, a positive mind, body, and soul in a negative world. See, all we do is positivity on this show. That's, it. That's all we ever do. That's what this is. We'll be back. <laughs> Tommy, do you guys read a lot of poetry on the queue? You mean like, there once was a man from Nantucket? No, more like T.S. Eliot. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. At... Dougie, what's wrong? You a little sad? No, other than the weather, nothing's wrong. In fact, in the walls of world, Coon Rapids and Burnsville finish number one and two in the state of Minnesota. J-Lo finally beat Dan Resch. Wow, that's pretty cool. Is it okay if I take all the credit? Well, I'd expect nothing less. Actually, we've got great inventory of some great vehicles, and these short-term leases are perfect for people who can't get the brands that they want. You told me about those. You can drive a new Nissan for as little as 18 months, and by then the chips will be aplenty. That's it exactly. We hope by then you'll be a Walzer Nissan convert. For great deals from the motor sales leaders, go to Burnsville or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there, in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. All right, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be our, with our guests in about 60 <coughs> seconds here, but i got to tell this story first. Sorry. Uh, I, I'm just telling you, the behavior of people has got to be brought under control. Everybody is insane. And here's a perfect example of how far people think they can go now and do whatever they want. Okay. Everybody's convinced they can do whatever they want now, right? <coughs> okay, you ready? <laughs> yes. You ready for the story? All over. A Massachusetts woman was charged Sunday with stealing from a Rite Aid pharmacy in Middletown, Massachusetts. Police said they were called to the store at 8.05 in the morning. Now remember, it's 8.05 in the morning. Sunday, for a shoplifter, police said Ashley Timmons, 28, of West Roxbury, Massachusetts, spent about an hour in the store opening items and placing them in a bag or in her clothing. When police arrived, according to a report, they found Timmons kneeling in an aisle with three USB phone chargers. She'd opened the packages and told an officer she was trying to charge her phone. 
Police found several other items in their possession that were matched to packaging store employees found around the store. They also found a syringe in Timmons' bag, and she admitted to officers that she used heroin. Hmm. Uh, now, here comes the good part. You ready? Mm-hmm. So it's not enough that she's walking around the store just tearing things open and taking the items, putting them in her purse. <laughs> she replaced those items with something. Every time she stole something, she replaced it with uh, something else. Probably not something that Rite Aid wants in their display cases. I think I can guess. What did she leave? I don't want to know. <laughs> I think Mom can guess, too. Mom can guess, too. Well, the employee pointed out a small cardboard display case in aisle 31 where Timmons had been, according to a police report. The display case contained what appeared to be poop. Yep. I was yeah. going to say, what's yeah. the feces? Excreta. Yeah. In another <laughs> display case, there were numerous tissues wadded up that appeared to be covered with poop. The display was feces-free when the store opened. <laughs> it was feces-free. And by the way, that was in the story. I didn't make that up. One it hour, feces-free. Yeah. We've done it. So it's We've done it, y'all. Include that in there ads. So it's not enough that you're ripping people oh off, that you're not enough that you're leaving crap all over these these things that you open, just threw them on the floor. you got to also leave your poop behind, too. That's pretty severe mental illness. Yeah, what they're... are we doing? What... Until we can go back to punching people in the face for acting like dinks, Good we're not going to ever get back to normal. We just have to be able to start hitting people. I agree with you. you got to start right clocking people. Again. Yep. Right, right. Nicky Bang, Zoom. We have to reintroduce corporal punishment back into our society. Yep. And I know, I'm, I'm telling you flat out because I asked it before, Dean Hagland has never pooped in a Rite Aid. Is that not right, Dean? <laughs> no, we don't know that. that. Is correct. You know, there's nothing better than a lead-in of a poop story. You can't go wrong. Dean, what, <laughs> how much further is it going to go? People thinking they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. How much further can it go? Well, you know, I think that uh, California, that's one of our main exports is self-entitlement. As long as we keep manufacturing it there, it's, uh, it's going to go uh, countrywide. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, Scared and Alone, our special guest, Dean Haglin. Uh, Scared and Alone is a, a live stream paranormal investigation where you get to experience what it's like to be in one of the world's most haunted locations. What a great, was this your idea, Dean, to, to shoot it this way? Uh, yeah, well, it actually, we came upon it a bit accidentally. Uh, there was uh, International Ghost Hunt Day. Did you know that existed? I did not. I didn't. <laughs> no. And so uh, I was asked by the producers to kind of host, you know, four hours of going around the world talking to ghost hunters. And then uh, in our final two hours, uh, we had um, a woman by the name of... Um, uh, her name is, uh, you know, <laughs> Courtney. Courtney Buckley. The Courtney bravest Buckley, yeah. Yep. Yes. She's the, the bravest woman in Paranormal. And she was by herself in a haunted house with just an iPhone and a K2 meter. And then also joining in on the Zoom call were some other paranormal investigators. And we all just sort of clicked. And it was terrifying. And uh, people started uh, jumping into the chat room, also experiencing things and seeing things on their feed. And it sort of became a group ghost hunt in real time uh, happening live. And so we don't edit it. If uh, nothing's happening, we go to another room. Uh, But things happen and uh, it's terrifying. And each one of us are alone on our Zoom call. And often, for instance, in my studio, uh, my robot vacuum will just start up on its own and start cleaning uh in the middle of a ghost hunt so you know there's there's terror <laughs> there's genuine terror for each and every one of us 
uh, involved. God, it's so many. How many? You had what, like eight, ten people involved in this, huh? A lot of people. Yeah. Well, generally we have uh, a group of four that are on right. camera, right? So we have um, Richard Lillard, who's the gentleman psychic, and he will actually paint a acrylic uh, canvas in real time, uh, connecting to the house and some of the people in it. So he'll actually paint portraits out of his mind that actually then when we research will actually look like someone who died in the house or something like that. It's quite incredible. And then um, we also have uh, David L. Sloan, Mm -hmm. who does a lot of research on this place. And uh, we have the uh, paranormal princess, uh, Miss Haley Michelle, who has a collection of uh, psychic dolls that are terrifying just unto itself. So uh, a lot of these haunted places, they get dolls gifted to them and she can connect to those psychically. Um, so yeah, there's there's a that's our general group of four. And then we have our regulars who come into the chat room all the time and they're sensing stuff and seeing things mm-hmm. and uh, are actively involved in the investigation at the same time. Now, David L. Sloan, he's involved with Robert the Doll, is that correct? Yes, yes. What's that all about? We try to get him to talk about it, and he always goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Even though the doll is right over his shoulder in the Zoom call, you know, (laughs) being complete denial about it. So, yeah, we are actually planning a um, a Scared and Alone uh, tour that we're going to drive down the East Coast to his place uh, in Key West. And uh, and corner him, and there's apparently one of the most haunted firehouses that he often uh, yes, uh, yep. zooms from, uh, with my favorite haunted entity, Captain Bumfarto. Bumfarto, uh, <laughs> okay. Bumfarto, that was his actual name, and he what? haunts the fire station there <laughs> oh, in Key West. No, Bumfarto is his real oh, name. <laughs> yes, isn't that a tough oh, one? Unfortunate. Yeah. Honey, yeah, if we got married, my name was Bumfardo. Would you be Catherine Bumfardo now? Not on your life. <laughs> not happening. <laughs> not happening, Dean. It's happening. just not happening. Okay, I get it. I have you, get it. Have you've sure. been in. You, you've been in that. Well, I think it used to be like a, a a bit of a like a shore fortress for the army. I think back in the day, that building that Robert the Doll is in. Yeah, yeah. It's it's quite historic, and uh, a lot of things have happened there. And I know they've had paranormal investigations there before, and it's always been very active. So, uh, yeah, that's our plan in the future. He seems to have uh, no problem being alone there on a Saturday night, but uh, he's had weird uh, electronic issues, as we all have on this show. Uh, Seems each and every one of us either has our lights go out, our hard drives kick out, Mm -hmm. things not uh, recording or acting properly. And that's also for people who you're just uh, hopping in on the show. They will also in the chat room go, "What, what's going on with my computer? So whatever right, the entity yeah. is, yeah, we'll get to you through the Internet. I didn't know that was a thing till this show. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. It, I mean, do, do people understand that when you die, your energy does not die with you? So it has to go somewhere, correct? Right. I mean, this is uh, what... Um, uh, advanced mathematics tells us there's right. 11 to 13 other dimensions other than the three or four that we can actually experience with our uh, corporal body. So uh, for sure, that energy goes somewhere. It's uh, it's proven mathematically. We just yep. don't know or and or haven't uh, put the 
scientific equipment that's not yet available uh, into the search. Now, Dean, what, I always ask this question because, you know, Dave Schrader is uh, on, the, on the show on Wednesdays, and we talk to Dave quite a bit about this stuff. Right. What first attracted you to the, to studying the paranormal? Did you, did you, like, three feet of the hole? Did you really? Rolled in the... What was that? What was that? Uh-oh. Are we being haunted again? Yeah, what was that? Now we're... Way to go, Dean. Now we're haunted. (laughs) It's your fault. That's Omni Studio being a piece of crap. Wow. What a shock. I'm telling you, that's the kind of thing that happens. There you go. This never happened before. Honest to God, that was weird. Right? Dean, Has that happened before? You poisoned us, Dean. It's your fault. (laughs) I don't know about poison. I I have a ghost in my machine now, so it probably pops up from time to time. Yeah, it probably is going to be the situation. See, Catherine and I have been down Key West. We used to do the KQ Morning Show that I'm on. I did a few years of shows down there and had a, just had a really, really good time going from (laughs) Robert. I mean, the whole, first of all, Duval Street is. Un, unlike any other street on earth, just walking down that street is yeah, amazing. Uh, and just where that island sits and the fact that it's, you know, they got that big, whatever that monolith is there that shows the southernmost point of the United States. Yeah, and that yeah, yeah. Thing. And Ernest Hemingway's house is down mm-hmm. there. Did you try to walk up that stairway, Dean? That staircase? Uh, yes. You can't uh, get up it. It's about a foot wide, for God's sake. I know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> and Hemingway always seemed then. like a big guy. Yeah, I don't know how he did it, right? Had I don't f- know. Maybe he never went up there. He just went to the garage, the studio. I remember he had that pool. He had a swimming pool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, first one in first right. one in Key West. Yeah, they were. It was a scandal right. that somebody would have a pool. And don't forget that Harry Truman wanted to turn Key West into the White House. Yeah, property. the Winter White House. Yep. He did indeed. Oh, it would be a very bad place for the White House. A place that gets wiped out by a hurricane every 10 years. <laughs> every yeah, 10 years, yeah, that wouldn't be too good. You're Think right about that. all those records that would just be floating out to sea. Yeah. Um, Dean, do you, is there any understanding, And because, you know, Catherine and Andy and Alex are here and, uh, with us. Ralph Basham is with us, a friend of the family. But the four of us, the entire family's here. And I've talked about this before, that Alex and I like horror stories or ghost stories, whereas Catherine and Andy do not. Is there any understanding of why some people would like it and some don't? I mean, is there? Because uh, some people, yeah. oh, absolutely, none of that ever happens. Well, like I said, that energy has to go somewhere, so I don't know where right? it goes. Well, and I'm not a fan of actual horror movies, believe it or not. Yeah, they, well, there you go. They are, yeah, I'm too terrified, actually. So all those jump scares and everything, yeah. I literally jump mm-hmm. out of my seat and white knuckle it, and it's, uh, and I don't find that fun. Whereas my better half, she reads all the Stephen King things. Oh, yeah. I have to put those down half the time. And his son, uh, Joe Hill, I find him too terrifying to read all the way through. Right. Uh, and uh, she she goes, yeah, that's the that's the genre. That's the, the fun of it. I'm like, I'm not having fun white-knuckling it and <laughs> breaking out of a cold sweat. So, so uh, yeah. So it, it just depends on the person and, and how they think, how you were first introduced to horror. And what was your, what movies became your inline? And then from that, did you get into ghost hunting or have you seen ghosts or did you grow up in a house with ghosts and that sort of thing? Well, so, Dean, I have a problem. Different. I have a problem there because the very first scary movie I ever saw was Psycho. <laughs> That's not a good place to start. <laughs> I Wasn't will that tell the you the very that. first scary no. movie? 
was Psycho? it? Psycho? No, probably not. But it was. It's the first one about, about one, probably the most first popular one. Psychology gone wrong. Yeah, and that's the reason I don't like horror because I saw it when I was six or seven with my sister, oh, and, and it, it it scarred me for life. I want right? no parts of. Stuff. And you probably don't take showers anymore either. Yeah, that's right. Not, <laughs> exactly. That's right. Only baths. I never drink Hershey's chocolate syrup. Anymore. Yeah, because that's what that was. Is Hershey's chocolate syrup. But yeah, it's it's interesting. Why, why, is there any understanding, Dina, why some people like it, some people don't, some people believe well, there are entities, other people don't? You know, this was the thing of being on the X-Files for all those years, is that right. some people would come up and they would really love the gross-out monster horror episodes, and other people would really like the conspiracy UFO episodes, right. yep. and then others were just into the Mulder-Scully relationship episodes, right? Oh, so, well... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we never, uh, I, I never talked to them. I didn't have much to say. I was always a no-romo, as we were called during the time, which were those who were interested in just seeing uh, Mulder and Scully be professional in their mm-hmm. relationship and not to hop into bed and have Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. HR oh. would have a field day. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't they? they I would. know. Does, I will, does the X-Files code. department have an HR? Probably not. I will tell you, you know, one it never came up. I think it was always just Agent Skinner giving them heck. Yeah, yeah so, there you go. I've yeah, interviewed yeah. both of them several times over the last, you know, 35 years or whatever it's been when that show started 30 years. I don't know how long ago it was. That's probably about right. That's probably yeah. about right, isn't it? But yeah. both of them are very, very pleasant. They really are good interviews. They're happy to be interviewed. But the one thing about it is when she does an interview, <clears throat> when you make reference to one of the shows on the X Files, to wow. say, oh yes, episode F seventeen ZRY. Mm. Yes, that was a She's good one. She's making it up. No, she wasn't. She had every episode's <laughs> number, the serial number for every episode Ooh. memorized. Was she a little Rain Manny? Yeah. That, well, Dean, did you did you know that that was true? I did not know that's true, but it probably was because often when we get our scripts, they didn't have the title of right. the episode on the script yet. Right. We only had the season number and the episode number. Mm. So you knew it was 0316 for the 16th episode of three season three. Right. And then you bring up the plot point and then she would, she would have it memorized that way because often the title only came as an afterthought in editing. So you never had it. You didn't even know when you had the script, what was the title of the episode? Yeah, that's exactly what, so the, you're the, that's why she did it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, she uh, her memory was always fantastic, but I could see that that's how she would catalog all of, uh, what was it, nine seasons of the show? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that is yeah. right. Dean, I consider myself to be very fortunate because I can be, even at, you know, my current age and all the rest of it, I can still be made uncomfortable by scary movies. But I also enjoy that little bit of a thrill and that little jump. I mean, it's it brings me back to my childhood in a way, I guess. Oh, oh, interesting. Reconnecting to that first emotional charge. Right. That's that exactly what it is. And it was oh. Psycho. It was the movie Psycho. Like when he no, spun I, the chair around and old Ma was in oh, the chair, yeah. that was a little yeah. terrifying. Spoiler alert, but yeah. Uh, Spoiler alert. The movie's been out for 60 years, I think, Dean. I think we're okay. Well, you know, there's a generation that may have not seen it. Well, that's true. That's true. It is. It is. I still uh, think. uh, But I'm I'm curious, who took you? I mean, you wouldn't have gone by yourself. 
to go see Psycho. No, no, no. I did not go by myself. And I'm trying to think of who that might have been. It had to either be at the Broadway or the Empress uh, Theater in North Minneapolis. But I can't remember who would have. Because that person be... should also be uh, <clears throat> reprimanded. Because that was a seriously <laughs> intense film yeah, for a absolutely. young man to be seen. Yeah. No, it's absolutely true. But uh, I see, I like that side of... Uh, now, let me put it this way. I would rather deal with the paranormal or ghosts or whatever it is than deal with the lies our political world are telling right now because that those are much more scary to me. The politics of America right now scare me much more than a ghost. I will tell ah. you that. <laughs> well, yeah, and perhaps it's one of the same, uh, the psychic snap yeah. that happens, right? When you are uh, terrorized uh, in whatever form, uh, that becomes a trauma at that point. It does. You're traumatized. Do you, have, do you have a lot of fun shooting these shows? I mean, obviously, you've been in a bit. How long you, have you been in the acting business anyway? It's been, it's been quite some uh, time, hasn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Since my uh, teenage days in Canada, I was in a couple of terrible uh, Canadian series. Uh, <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> shall I name? No, I won't name names. There was a, uh, oh, my God, what was the name of the dog? It was a stray dog that wandered the country solving crimes. What? And it was just, yeah, well, so he, he, he came up to where a crime was happening. <laughs> and then they go, hey, wh- who's this stray dog? Oh, I, I did a day on it. So you know, <laughs> I don't yeah. even remember. It was terrible. It was a terrible Canadian show. And the longest running Canadian show, The Beachcombers. Oh, sure. Yeah. Story. Yes, the guys who, uh, who pick up logs off the beach in their boat yep. that ran for 23 seasons 23. <laughs> picking up logs off the beach on the british columbia coastline 23 seasons of that that is amazing that that happened <laughs> no. well the scenery was beautiful and apparently you know that sold big yeah that's true across the sea so there were long after we stopped watching it in canada everybody else was still loving it over overseas around the world it's an amazing thing is there one thing in your life you can think of that that really because again being so young and seeing psycho because i think i was what about 10 maybe when it come out 1961 or 60 60 60 so i was yeah. nine yeah so I was you might have even old. been eight i might have even been eight years old when it came out that's true <laughs> that's terrifying yeah. that's... it was terrifying i do <laughs> remember that right there. let's see psycho Thanks. came out in September, so you had not yet turned nine. I wasn't even nine yet. I was still eight wow. years old. Oh, young, I'd say. Young. Since, since that day, though, Dean, I was, you know, inspired that if anybody ever pissed me off, I'd just stab him to death in the shower. It'd have been wonderful, <laughs> you know. The hard part's getting them in the shower, though, right? <laughs> yes, you know? the hard part's getting them in, catching them when they're showering. That's the tough part, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, the whole thing, I just found it to be amazing to me. But I well, mean, yeah. I'm not going to go too. And Hitchcock, a genius. Yeah. Uh, the Janet Lee, you think is the lead of the movie, and mm-hmm. she dies halfway through. Never seen before in any cinematic uh, movie where your lead is murdered at the halfway point. No, I can understand. You know, I got to throw one. I'm only spend thirty seconds on this, but I'll ask Doctor Basham, <laughs> who's just sitting to my right. Could I deal with that movie and not be totally freaked out because of the fact that he was kind of acting like my dad? Ooh. Think about that. Oh, that was, that's interesting. That's, that's, I should mention to Dean that my father was mentally ill. He had, he had schizophrenia. Deep, that's deep psychology. Wow. Start taking the but, whole pill in the morning rather than cutting it in half now. I that just is think really I'm a, serious. Think about that, though. Yeah. That I may have been able to deal with him because I dealt with my dad for all those years before he left. 
you know, and I, and I had no experience like that. Um, so I I was terrified. I just, and I was the same age, eight. So I was the same age watching that. Oh man, it messed me up. It was scary. It was not normal. I do. Did Jaws mess you up? Did you go swimming after you saw Jaws? Not in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Pools would be fine with me. Yeah, but to this day, when I go swimming in the ocean, I'm always like, oh. What's that? What's that? Because <laughs> I remember that movie. I I was working. My family owned a uh, concession stand at a swimming resort, and everybody, anytime a little minnow or some mm. uh, thing brushed their leg, they would scream "shark" and run from the, from the, uh, the minnow. Like, the minnow yeah. shark. I like it. Sharks are a little bigger than that usually. Yeah, I know. Usually they're people a little are bit terrified. So, Dean, what was it that, that that really locked you in? We talked about a little bit what attracted you to the, the business uh, you're in uh, today. But right. was there one thing that really drove you and said, no, wait a minute. No, this is, yeah, this is fascinating to me. I, was there one thing that did it or were several things? It was several things. I mean, the X-Files, of course, had many right. uh, ghost episodes. Right. And uh, I, you know, didn't know much about them, but the... Writers on that show, Chris Carter, Vince Gilligan, yeah. who went oh, on God. to do Breaking Bad, uh, Frank Spotnitz, their, uh, their libraries in their writing office were not the usual how to write a screenplay, but instead uh, deep uh, texts of, of bizarre books like uh, the rituals of Mithra and, uh, uh, you know, the 25 uh, ghost stories that are still unexplained and that kind of thing, right? So they would lend me those books. And that's sort of where we got so that when we had lunch, it was our topics of conversation were always uh, vivid and eclectic, to say the least. Yeah, no question about that. Yeah. So is how you lived your life, does that have a big influence, do you think, on whether you like scary movies or romantic comedies or... The early part of your life as a child, what you experience, is that what drives you towards certain... You know, habits yeah, because you know, think. I I think my my country upbringing north of you in Manitoba, no less. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I came to Minneapolis because that was the South. That was warm. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Oh, how wrong you are! Oh no, I'm a Winnipeg. Anytime uh, Minneapolis said, "Oh, we're so cold." Yeah, you're invited to Winnipeg if you want to experience cold. Uh-huh. So, so we always went down to Minneapolis as a, oh boy, we you know it's going to be pop rocks and warmer weather. Pop and, rocks, uh, pop rocks, baby. Pop rocks. Oh my god. Yeah, we did not have pop rocks in Canada. Really? That was no? bad. Yeah. They well, banned first time them. I had it was at the Piggly Wigglies in Thief River. Uh, yeah, Thief River Falls. Thief River Falls. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Piggly they, Wiggly, baby. They were banned. Yeah. Of all things, to ban. I, well, ban. I don't. Just, <laughs> I don't know if it was banned per se. I don't know how oh. strict Canada is on its pop uh, sugary treats. <laughs> but oh. yeah, we couldn't get pop rocks to, unless we went down to uh, into Minneapolis. Yeah, it's so. so funny about that, Dean. Is there are other actors? David. Uh, oh, damn it! I can't remember his last name. He, he grew up in uh, in Winnipeg, and his family's come down to shop uh, back when he was a kid as well. Nice Canadian boy. Damn it! He's a very funny guy. Really good actor. I can. David. David. Oh, Jesus! Yeah. I can't remember. What's he in? 
I don't know. I got to get back. He's always on the Tonight Show. He's very he's kind of a handsome guy. Oh, David Steinberg for crying David out loud. David Steinberg. That's exactly who I'm talking about. Oh my God. That's oh, how you have to say. Tonight Show. Yeah, just the David. There's Steinberg. only five of us famous from. <laughs> but you know what? The other three were all in the Guess Who, so that worked. <laughs> uh, are we doing Guess Who? Burton coming references. Oh God! I'm telling you, what to this day we still get members of the Guess Who coming on. They talk about the same thing you just said. That we'd get in the family car and drive down to Minnesota, and we'd stop in Thief River Falls, or we'd go all the way down to Minneapolis, St. Paul. And it was—they said it was very exciting, which I thought was terrific. It is exciting. I mean, the the mall, the IDS mall, wasn't it? That the big thing. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, and of course, you know, later on, that's the one of the weirdest experiences I had at a sci-fi convention, uh, an X-Files convention in Minneapolis, was, uh, uh, it wasn't, well, is it paranormal? It was definitely weird, uh, because it was, you know, uh, the lone gunmen were there, uh, Frank Spotnitz, you know, it was yeah. all oh, yeah. X-Files, uh, personal sci-fi convention where we sign autographs afterwards. And a woman hands me a hand-drawn picture that doesn't look like anybody. It's like, is that supposed to be, you know, Mulder? I don't know what the heck. She says, no, that's my husband. I go, why am I signing a picture of a hand-drawn, you drew a picture of your husband and you want me to sign it? She goes, yeah, well, he was in the FBI. I'm like, well, okay, shrug my shoulders. Was in the FBI, he's retired. You know, I start a conversation. Sure. No, and she pulls out a photo album. She goes, this is my husband here. And it's a picture of her with a guy like 6'5 in the backyard. And then they said he went on an FBI assignment. And I get a call saying he's gone into a coma. Ooh. And when I get down to California, they say, this is my husband. And it's a short 85-year-old guy with tubes in his mouth in a hospital bed. What? And I said, that doesn't look anything like your husband. She goes, I know. But all his ID, his fingerprints, his dental records, everything says that's my husband. Ooh. I've never seen him before. Ooh. I'm going to this guy. And I'm like, so why are you telling me? She goes, well, where else can I go? I go to the FBI. I go to the police. They do fingerprints. They say, that's my husband. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, so then all of us afterwards, because she said that to each and every one of us. Oh, okay. And every, everyone else had a theory like, oh, the husband just wanted to divorce her. And found some homeless guy and stuffed him in a bed. And that was, oh. you know, <laughs> like, well, that's even darker. And uh and then, you know, Bruce thought that she was just having some sort of mental snap or, or having us on kind of thing. And uh, boy, we I never followed up and never found out what happened to her or if she ever found that guy. But that's the kind of thing the X-Files brought, that kind of that's, terror. That is amazing. So he found some shriveled up guy to take his place? Well, with that was... Frank Spotnitz theory. I don't think he actually did that. Oh, okay. I think perhaps maybe, uh, you know, he had an accident and had been in a coma for a while and maybe lost weight and aged rapidly or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, that could have actually been uh, an explanation. Or as Bruce thought, he she was just having, uh, having us on and trying to, you know, propel herself into some story oh, that will yeah. be written in the X-Files later on. Yep. Uh, by talking to the writers. So each one of those uh, seemed plausible and each one of them seemed terrifying at the same time. Is there one thing in your childhood, like I said, uh, you know, for, for Ralph and me, he was going to see Psycho when we were eight years old. And uh, is there one thing that really, that you saw at such a young age that, that sent you down the path? Oh, well. Uh, well. Not, well. 
I'm trying to think. Well, you know, I watched all those um, uh, terrible British uh, 60s Vince and Price movies. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Roger Corman stuff, too. Like right. all of that. Right. Uh, I was into. But I don't know if that terrified me. Just growing up in the prairies was plenty terrified enough. Yeah, that's true. You know, stories of, um, oh, I don't know, how gross, how how horrific shall I make it uh, in my uh, school days yep. of people who died in car accidents and motorcycle and oh, snowmobile yeah. accidents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The, the um, you know, there was a train that would cross the prairie and in fresh snow, it would kick up the snow so you couldn't actually see the train. And oh if you're driving God. your snowmobile, you can't hear the train. Oh. And the guy in the year above me went right under the train. Oh. And basically, everybody had to get out and go into the field and collect parts. Yep. And oh. uh, my neighbor picked up the helmet with his head still in it. And, oh. Oh, yeah, I know. She never yeah. really was the same after that. Yeah. Don't snowmobile down the tracks, kids. <laughs> or or vertical to the tracks. I mean, he was crossing the field and thought the tracks was an, another mile out. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because the snow was kicked up and and, and it was oh. snowing with oh. fresh powder. So he didn't see it. He couldn't hear it. Oh. And then basically he was under it wow. with all within seconds. God, that's so, just that's terrible. Mm -hmm. I know. So if you want to talk about horror, <laughs> I would think that's more horrific than anything I've ever seen in a movie. No, there's no question about that. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Going through that must have been... It yeah, just hearing ones. about it. I, like, you know, I was I think I was too young to go out to the fields, but all the neighbors did. And, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. and, and then you hear the stories afterwards. And it's like, and that's just one of many terrible stories that happened in the prairies. Dean, do you think some people need to identify their fears? Is that part of it? Is that why so many people are attracted to... You know, ghosts and goblins and the uh, the uh, paranormal and the rest of it. They, do they are they looking to identify their fears? Yeah, well, uh, or or you have an anxiety mm -hmm. that's so free floating and so uh, un uh, undefined that you then go to the movies or you go on these uh, paranormal investigations specifically to focus that free floating anxiety into something that can hopefully uh, manifest and transverse so that you have some, you know, the great thing about scaring alone actually is at the end of it, there's a bit of a, a turnaround, a cleansing that happens mm -hmm. and it's kind of uh, cathartic at the end so that all of the uh, weird things that are going on in any one of these specific houses uh, often has uh, something at the end that's kind of either uh, historically interesting or emotionally uh, not just terrifying, but the, there's a um, there's you know tears or, or laughter at the end of it mm -hmm. of something you, of the journey you've taken. So uh, I think that may be more why our people are drawn to it. I love it, ladies and gentlemen. Scared and alone is a live stream paranormal investigation where you get to experience what it's like to be in one of the world's most haunted locations. You can check it out, of course, at scaredandalone.com. But it is a live stream. Uh, how, how do people find uh, Scared and Alone? Yeah, you go to scaredandalone.com. Okay. Or you can go on. Um, uh, we do Steamyard as well. Uh, dot com, and uh, and then we're on a Facebook page and a YouTube. 
and it's kind of all goes live Saturday night on multiple uh, multiple platforms. God, YouTube is huge now, isn't it? Oh my gosh, it's unbelievable! It really has uh, gotten gigantic. They, they get seven hours of material every minute uploaded. So, really? Try, mm-hmm. Yeah, seven hours a minute. Oh God, twenty-four hours a day. So, the the just the amount of the video information is astronomical. Dean Haglin, ladies and gentlemen. Dean, you got to come in the studio sometime. I'd love to have you in. I would love it. You know how much I love Minnesota. Yes, all, it's so toasty here compared to <laughs> Winnipeg. Warm up the pot rocks. We'll get it done. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Have a great day, sir. You too. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. We'll take a break. Be right back. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's Picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. If you were like me and constantly finding yourself in weight loss mode, I have great news. Continuum is here. It's new and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation. Find out more today. Simply go to their website, Continuum Weight weightwellbeing.com or call or text them at 952-491-6527 and catch the Continuum team on my podcast on Thursdays, 11.15 a.m. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing Life Beyond Weight Loss Mode. I said, sisters, if you only knew, you would wish you were in my shoes. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to Dean Hagelin. A hell of a guest. Of course, Kristen Bird, as always. Timmy Lammers will be back next week, I'm sure. But uh, 
No, that was I, see. I find that stuff interesting. Why people like the things they do? Why they like the music they like, the movies they like, all of that stuff. I think I uh, burned out my scary allotment for a lifetime by reading every R.L. Stein book three oh, yeah, times you were when into I was goose, a kid. Oh my god, that's one great. of those. Every single Goosebumps book at least <laughs> yeah. twice. Yeah, Fonz really found a couple it. in the little free libraries. Mm. We have a little free library by our house, and she's found a couple Goosebumps books, and she's because she likes spooky things. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think that. Mm. And she's really she only wants to read chapter books. She does not want to read like children's books anymore. She's like chapter books, and that is it. Really? Like, okay. Um, well, and yeah, she's, she's like six for God. She's oh in, my she's in first. She's grade. an elderly child now. She's in first grade. Oh, somebody's birthday's what? Uh, six days. Six, six days, days, days away. Yep. Little Sage. Yesterday, four I, years old. Yesterday, Sage and I were in the kitchen after we woke up, and I was like, "Hey, Sage, what, what do you want for breakfast?" And he goes. $30,000, please. And, <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. $30,000, please. And a waffle. $30,000 and a waffle. One we can like, do, the other we like, cannot. Where does he I mean, get $30,000? Great question. I don't know. Watching television or something? I'm sure. No, I don't know. This morning, I, was in, I woke up in his bed with him. And a waffle. And I woke up in his bed with him, and he's like, Mom, you have two options. First... Go right downstairs. Second, back scratch, then go downstairs. <laughs> back like, scratch for him or you? For me. For you? I was oh, like, I'm going to go with the back scratch. Oh, so he's going to scratch your back. Yeah. There you like, go. Sweet. That's two options. It's two we options. We have Tire Carver on the line. Tire Carver. The evil Tire Carver. What do you think? Evil. Yeah, it's me. It's me. It's me. What's happening, Pally? change direction of you a little bit. Have you guys watched the uh, Norm MacDonald special yet on Netflix? Oh, no. i got to watch that, though, because he's phenomenal. It's interesting to watch because it's more of like a monologue. He's just sitting in front of his computer. Oh, right. Yeah. With, uh, you know, with a microphone. Hmm. And there's no reactions. There's no nothing. I mean, other than his dog barking and the phone ringing once, <laughs> um, which was kind of comical in the middle of it. But it's what's more interesting is the last half hour, you have uh, Dave Letterman, Dave Chappelle, uh, Molly Shannon. Oh, who's the guy with the red hair that was late night? Conan O'Brien? Conan. Conan. There you go. Conan O'Brien, um, David Spade, and uh, uh, Sandler, Adam Sandler, talking about Norm for a half hour. I thought that was cooler than the special. I heard you know, it's those phenomenal. guys are just talking about. Yeah, it's not bad. I, I mean, Norm to me was always a take it or leave it kind of comedian because. Oh, okay. But he, the way those six guys talk afterwards, or six people, um, he would go down rabbit holes just to prove his point that the joke at the end was funnier than the getting there. Really. And people would walk out before they got to the end. Oh. Because it's like I know this is funny, <laughs> so it's like. Listening to the you know the mindset he had on some of the stuff he was doing through his friends was pretty. I uh, thought that was cooler than the comedy special. Well, I tell you what, we had him in studio a couple of times. You could not meet a nicer guy in the world than Norm Macdonald. He was just a very nice man. Yeah, that's what one of the things they brought up. You know, just how he was, you know, individually and to you know people behind the scenes. 
you never knew how nice a guy he was. Yep. No, it's absolutely true. It's, it's, it's one of the things about doing the morning show all these years that I love so much is all the people that I've met over the years. And I would say, honest to God, easy 97, 98, maybe even 99% of them could not have been nicer. Most people are, are very professional. Some are not, obviously. That Rich Hall sat and read uh, read a book the whole time he was on the air and never answered one question. Didn't talk the whole time he was on the air. <laughs> Settle down, Rich. That's yeah, why Rich. A reason to show up. That's why Rich is no longer in the business because he would do things like that. <clears throat> never understood it. Mm-hmm. I never got it. But you know what are you going to do? But yeah, Norm McDonald. He was well. He's the one who kicked this whole thing off. He died, and then people, you know. People started dying left and right. Scott Hansen died after that. Then they just wouldn't stop dying, for God's sake. We didn't lose anybody this yeah, week, thank God. Not the good part. It is not the good part. You're absolutely right. I wonder, I suppose just comedians sitting around for two years with this COVID situation, they probably basically went nuts because they couldn't do anything. Yeah. But yeah, he, they, they talk about it at the beginning of the special, how he did this for Netflix yeah. the night before he went in for one of his cancer treatments. Oh. And that uh, I, I don't remember where I heard it, but they that it was told that if he survived, they were just going to can the whole special and he'd do it in front of an audience. Right. That the, you know, what they're showing now would never be shown because he oh. was like, I could get out of this and, and still do this in front of a crowd. Right. Because that's what he was writing it for. But, you know, kind of realistically knew that maybe it wasn't going to happen. So, Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, uh, all of them. To tell you the truth, all of these six, seven people that we've lost in the last six months or so, I really was very fond of all of them. They're all really pretty damn decent people. Yeah, a lot of talent. Lots and lots of talent, no question about it. So everything else good? The family's good? Family's great. I'm glad to hear it. All right, Pally. I, I keep getting your messages, and I keep. I got to get out. I got to get out to the ice cream truck. There's no doubt about it. So don't stop sending the messages. I'll, I'll get out one of these days. I say, I told you where we'll be on Sunday, so come see us. Oh, is it well, now? Where are you going to be? So you're going to be at the Basilica, or yep. is that you are? Okay. Uh, and what time are you at the Basilica mm-hmm. on Sunday? After both masses. Oh, you are okay. Well. So, Yep. No, you do understand that's the first place that, that, that I went. Well, that I went there for three months for first grade because I went to Emerson School across uh, the street from our apartment. And then I went to uh, the Basilica for about three months in first grade. And then we moved to LaSueur, Minnesota. So that was that. And we lived in LaSueur. Basilica kicked you out, huh? Well, I think what happened was we moved to, <laughs> to LaSueur, and I think we lived there about three, four days. And that was about the end of that. But... We were there for Christmas. I do remember that, but we were so September, October, November. Yeah, so we were there. I would say we lived in, we lived there probably about two months. That was about it. And I do remember my father said, you know, it's a pretty well-paying job that I'd go down there. It's a good-paying job. And my mother said, well, how much are you making? And he said, they're going to pay me $2 an hour. <laughs> two bucks an hour. <laughs> Been a while, huh? Yeah, times have changed. No question about it. Tire, <laughs> behave, say hello to family for me, and hopefully I'll see you on Sunday, Pally. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Tire. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Tire Carver, ladies and gentlemen, longtime podcast listener, KQ listener, the whole shoot match. What are you studying down there, Catherine? Uh, nothing. I've got a, all of a sudden I have a headache. You have a headache? Mm-hmm. You want to wrap it up? We can wrap it up. 
Like you can yammer all you want. It's only it's like <laughs> three minutes left anyway, yeah. so we can, yeah, we can just wrap it up and get home and take a nap or something. Ralphie, what do you got? Anything oh, good? Not much. I just looking up. I, I looked up that uh, movie, The Trip, mm-hmm. uh, uh, starring Peter Fonda, written by Jack Nicholson. I, I just uh, that's a fascinating kind of thing. I got to just go watch it and see what it's. So it's about it's a like. drug trip. It's about a, about an LST drug trip. Guy's first drug trip, and then he goes through all these sort of machinations of. Of his life and uh, of you, you know, scenes on Sunset Strip, Big Sur, um, you know, it's just by, by uh, uh, Burbank, you know, just all that whole area there. It might be kind of fun to see what it looked like in the 60s. Uh, well, we were I there. Tell you, oh. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm watching Dragnet. Uh, L.A. doesn't look anything like it no, does I, today, I, I will tell no. you that. Nothing like Mm-mm. it. Not even close. But I remember on one episode he said, we never thought we'd see the day when a city in America had over three million people. <laughs> well, now Minneapolis, St. Paul has what three and a half million? Yeah, and that shows you how much we've grown in, in fifty-five years. That's right. There's oh. um, pre-World War II footage of Tokyo, and it looks like medieval Japan. But then, as soon as World War II happened, World War II ended. And globalization started. Oh yeah, mm. Tokyo. Yeah, it exploded in size. It modernized all the buildings. It was because oh, really? everyone was walking around wearing kimono. They had carts. They had the straw hats. And this was not even a hundred years ago. No. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah, but World War II kind of incinerated most yeah. of Tokyo with the firebombing. It, yeah. it was not. It, it, you know, yeah. it, in fact, more people were killed in the firebombing than there were in the. Nuclear. Well, they, uh, they say that the uh, nukes actually saved lives because otherwise, what would have happened was we would have invaded, we would have all died, and they would have all died while killing us. Yeah. So it's true. you know it's like two shitty situations, pick one kind of thing. Yeah, really. Shitty. Yeah. How come they didn't nuke Hitler? I still want to know. Oh, because we didn't, didn't have the didn't have the technology. War ended in Europe before the technology was available. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the nuke was the last thing to happen in World War Two. That right. was that was the very right. very end. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family.